When I sat down to write the first episode of this indie game focused podcast, my mind was racing with all the topics that I could speak about. Game curation on Steam versus itch.io? Maybe talk about the history of indie games. Well, that's a little too technical. Ooh, or what about talking about highlights from recent game jams? Maybe even the culture of game jams? Okay, okay, I'm getting ahead of myself here. See, all of these ideas are great, and definitely things I want to address in future episodes of this podcast, but I thought that it wouldn't be great for a first episode. After all, why are indie games important? Why do we care about this specific subsection of the video games industry? More importantly, why and how do we connect with them as gamers? I'm your host, Chloe Spencer, and these are the Indies. Speaking from a personal standpoint, I think it's safe to say that I've played more indie games than those made by AAA studios at this point in my life. By now, I've written tons of articles for Game Luster specifically about indie games, and I also host my weekly show, One Game, One Minute, which is only about indie games. And then recently, I, ho- I launched Indie Power Hour, which is, again, also about indie games. And my interest in indie games emerged when I was a teen, and I used to watch YouTubers like Cryotic and PewDiePie scream their way through games like Amnesia and Outlast. In 2012, I was an awkward teenager with little to no knowledge of YouTube. But when I was 16, I went away to a week-long summer camp, Girl State, which was entirely focused on encouraging women to take on leadership and political roles. In between going to events, we were bored. We were staying at a university in the dead of summer, which was gorgeous, but there was nothing to do aside from sit around and watch things on our laptops. So one of my roommates at the time introduced me and my other friend to PewDiePie's Cry of Fear playthroughs. Now, Cry of Fear is all kinds of messed up. It's essentially about a suicidal young man's violent descent into madness. There are men who run at you with chainsaws, small children who chase after you with knives, even creepy ladies with babies that explode from their stomachs only to try to stab you. This is not something that you would expect a group of teenage girls to bond over, but we did. It was bearable because for one, it was a social activity, and two, because we thought that PewDiePie's playthroughs at the time were hilarious. One of those girls I met at camp is still my best friend, and recently we reminisced about the times that we screamed and laughed while watching the videos. I think that our friend at the time that was living with us, she was the one that had introduced, because before, I don't think that we had known much about it, and she was the one that had introduced us to it. I don't think I even knew who PewDiePie was until she had like brought right, it up. Right, right. I don't think I did. I don't think I did either. I wasn't really on YouTube that much because my parents used to think it was like a bad place yeah. where people <laughs> would just post like anime dubs I and mean, like it is. <laughs> like. YouTube is low-key kind of a dumpster fire still, but that's okay. Like, we're all in it for the ride now. Um, But yeah, and then Cry of Fear, I'm not quite sure how we got started on listening specifically to Cry of Fear and watching those. I I think at the time that that was one of his latest playthroughs, do you remember... 
I don't think he'd even finished it. Like, I right. think we had just started watching it right. it was his most recent one. Oh, that's right. Yep, yep, because didn't we get together that following Christmas to watch the, the final the episode? Yeah. Right, and we hadn't, yeah, we got together to to watch all the episodes that we had missed. because so we could know how the story ends. Right, so that we could know how it ended. Cause, and we had desperately tried to, I remember we stayed up really, really late one night. We did. Trying to watch all the playthroughs. I know. To the point where I was just like, never mind. <laughs> I know. Like, it was kind of a bad move because, like, our camp that we were at, like, made us get up really early every day. Every for day for... But we'd still be up until, like, 2 a.m. watching right. Cry of Fear. Oh, that was and so... And then not being able to go to bed because it was scary. <laughs> it was so scary. It was so scary. And there was so much that... Th- that game was just, like, so kind of... It was so disturbing because there was, it was about a kid that was going into like this, he was going to this area, you know, of kind of depression and it was causing him to hallucinate and all these monsters essentially. Mm-hmm. So like you get to the end of the game and spoiler alert, like he ended up, he, it's revealed that yeah, he was hallucinating everything and the monsters weren't really real, and he was the monster all along. Yeah. Which I also kind of thought was really cool. I think it's interesting. Yeah. Depression is a monster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I kind of liked how it sort of talked about it in that way. Yeah. And then with the games themselves, did you did you ever feel, like, apprehensive when we started to watch the playthroughs? Yeah. Yeah? I mean, it was kind of like the equivalent of watching a horror movie. Like, there are certain parts where you're walking down, like, a dark alley or something, right. and you're like, something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. <laughs> oh, and then man. you just have, like, PewDiePie, who is giving this, like, hilarious commentary <laughs> with it, but, like, he was freaking out, so it would make you freak out. Yeah, right, right. But it felt a little better than just, like, ha- I would never have been able I think to play Cry of Fear by myself without having watched that playthrough oh yeah because I was so freaked out by it but somehow yeah. when someone else is like screaming and laughing at it it makes it better right yeah I think it would be too terrifying for me to actually play right <laughs> I, I just watch it no I think that it's 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 still so scary even mm-hmm. now when it's like with all the new technology and like the new graphics and everything, and this game was kind of built off of like an old engine from Half Life. Yeah. So, and even now, I still think it's a terrifying game. And then, I don't know, like, did you, when, did you, did you ever really watch like YouTube before that point or video games or anything? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I was definitely on YouTube mm-hmm. before that point, but not to watch, like, Let's Plays. Right. You know? Or if I did watch Let's Plays, it was, like, of, like, The Sims. Like, nothing like <laughs> Cry of Fear, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then what... I kind of wanted to also talk a little bit about kind of girl state and sort of us going there. Um, I remember yeah. kind of loving it honestly because I was like I get to be away from home for an entire week how did you feel I remember like the couple days before I left Mm -hmm. I was like I don't want to (laughs) go like I was like talking to my parents I was like can't you call them and tell them I'm like sick or something like I don't want to go and my parents were like no you should just do it and I was like oh fine but I was not happy about it because I just got kind of like roped into it by my school like I didn't really want to right but now obviously I'm really happy that I did because like I met you and I met like all of our other friends 
Yeah. And like we had a lot of fun. Right. And we still talk to this day, which is really weird. So like, you know, you show up at the meeting and they're like, these are going to be your friends for life. And you're like, and you're like good sure. <laughs> good story. <laughs> good like, story, bro. Y'all are cute. We'll hang no. out for a week and then we'll never talk again. <laughs> Katie and I also took the time to rewatch some of the old gameplay videos to see what other memories that we could come up with. And we were quite surprised by what we had seen. <laughs> he forgot how scary that was. He dropped the knife and died like instantly. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, that was I ridiculous. forgot how intense this game was. Like, I feel like when we were watching it in a group, like it wasn't terribly scary. Right, it wasn't that bad and now it's like (laughs) (laughs) even now like looking like having rewatched that first episode just now the playthrough it's a little bit, it's really intense this game. Yeah, it is. Lots of build ups to like jump scares. Oh yeah, 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 yeah that was another thing that I really that I, I totally forgot is that it took a while before any action like he doesn't meet the first enemy into the game until like the last two minutes of his playthrough. Yeah. It's really just kind of wandering through the city and being creeped out. So it gives right. it's so great building the suspense. Oh man. That was that was that was different. Do you think so? You think it's scarier now than when it was back then, just because of I the, think so. I mean, yeah. I don't really remember like how scared I was when we watched it, but I think just like watching it in a big group, you know, right? It, it was made it easier. less scary because there were at least like three or four of us, right? And now it's kind of like, oh, uh, we're just two people, yeah. <laughs> and and we were also watching it on like a tiny like laptop screen, but oh, now we're watching now it on like a big TV. <laughs> yeah, so that makes it a little bit different because it's kind of it kind of gives you a little bit more tunnel vision almost when yeah. you're looking at it. So feels very real, <laughs> scary. Uh, it's still like even though it's kind of the graphics are old nowadays and like we wouldn't like them, I I still think it really kind of they work like mm-hmm. they they've they've aged well like it makes it still a scary game still fun to watch right yeah so especially with pewdiepie's commentary yeah that was he's so funny he was really funny yeah uh he sounded so much different back then and back back then now he he like kind of spoke with like a stronger accent this is back when he kind of had bieber hair like Mm. so this was way back in the day and um yeah this playthrough i think was released just um i I think that you were right in that we didn't watch all the episodes right away because he yeah i don't think that they were all out they had just been kind of putting them out so Mm -hmm. yeah this was interesting this is definitely an interesting blast from the past yeah for sure I didn't just want this podcast to focus on my own perspective. I also invited some of my colleagues from Game Luster, Austin and Robert, to talk to me about their earliest experiences with indie games and what games are most memorable to them. Uh, so let me think. My first experience, I mean, I probably had a lot of experiences with indie games that I may not remember, but like the one that that kind of solidified in me that, hey, indie games are like a real thing. You can't just pay attention to Rockstar and EA because there are smaller people out there making bigger games sometimes and one that i really enjoyed and it really made an impact on me was dust and elysian tale which i know some people might think oh you furry which i'm really not one uh but it 
it was a lot of fun. Like it was a lot more fun than I expected it to be. And it had this unique art style where it kind of looked like a cartoon. It kind of looks like Avatar The Last Airbender, actually, in some ways. And um, the combat was really fun for a side-scrolling hack and slasher. And it had a lot of depth to it, a lot more than I expected with really good voice acting. And when I beat the game, it was one of the few games where I actually wanted to like research what's the story behind how this was made. And I found out it was just one dude who worked on it for like five plus years and who did like almost everything. And that was an insane story to me. But, you know, now we all know, right, that's kind of common almost in the indie gaming sphere. And um, that taught me just like, hey, pay attention to indie games. People are making cool stuff. I mean, like, look at Celeste from last year, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Celeste. Wow. Celeste was a really incredible game. And it got so much attention, too, which I thought was really, really cool to just kind of see the the sort of discourse surrounding it. Yeah. And what I liked about Celeste, too, is it wasn't just like, hey, it's a, it's a team of six people making this game, but it's also a team of six people making this huge game about, like, mental problems and mental health issues and raising mm-hmm. awareness for that while also being a fun game. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Austin, what, what about you? What are your earliest experiences with indie games well like robert i can't say for certain if it's my earliest but definitely um the earliest memories i have are probably not games most of you have heard of because i played tons and tons and tons of flash games Mm. and Uh, so yeah yeah, i I would spend hours after school on congregate.com um and there were just so many different games there that were actually really good. Um, I got to think of some. I think <clears throat> um, one of them, probably my favorite Flash game is Meat Boy. And you're probably thinking, well, Super Meat Boy is not a Flash game. But I mean, like the original Meat Boy platformer, mm-hmm. it was um, originally a Flash game. And I know that uh, the developer, Edmund McMillan, if I'm saying it right, he did a lot of Flash games. and. Um, that was one of them. I in I one hundred percented it, which is definitely no small feat. <laughs> um, and you know when the actual Super Meat Boy came out, of course I was really really ready to play that. Um, I would play Flash games just because, you know, as a kid, at least for me, you don't have as much personal money, and um, my parents, you know, they they can't spend, you know, $60 every month to buy a new game for your kid, especially when you have two brothers too. So, you know, I, I would kind of save up and buy something. But in the, in the meantime, you know, when I got bored or something, I would just play Flash games. And um, it's really sad to see that, you know, Flash games are kind of dying, mostly because, well, actually, there's quite a few reasons, but... One, <clears throat> Flash is, like, basically dead. There's no more support for it, I think. I don't know if that's uh, rolled through yet or not. Uh, two, a lot of these developers have, you know, moved on to either mobile or Steam. But it's also kind of interesting to see all these Flash game developers that I knew um, have, you know, gone on to make new games on Steam and... Uh, you know, they turned out pretty good. So uh, it's just a product of a bygone era. 
but they were still really, really fun. Definitely had an impact on my career as a video game journalist. Even if I didn't necessarily write about them, it inspired me to, you know, kind of pursue this. Do you guys have any experience with Flash games? Dude, I, play, I, I played a ton. <laughs> yeah, I remember playing some, I think, on, on Newgrounds. I used to play... There was this mm-hmm. one that was about the end of the world that I remember where you can only play it once, and then I think it was super difficult to oh. like the files. I totally... I forget what it was, but it was just basically how you would live out the last week of your life, and you... I think you were a scientist, and you can choose... You could choose what you wanted to do i'm not quite sure if that was a flash game in itself but I think yeah it was i a think point and click. i think i know um actually i definitely know what you're talking about in fact i had a class in college uh on video games it was my english senior seminar and um we played that as one of the things and that was my first time i had seen it um i feel like it could be pretty easy to find but that that game was really impactful and uh I mean, it just kind of goes to show that there are a lot of Flash games with some pretty cool creative twists to it that you don't find in other games. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like Flash games are the mobile game before mobile games became <laughs> a thing, you know? Oh, yeah. And what makes me so sad is that kids nowadays are probably never, ever going to play a Flash game in their lives because at school they probably brought their phone or their iPad so they could play Candy Crush or Angry Birds on it, you know, instead of going to Congregate or going to Newgrounds. Mm-hmm. Cool math games. Cool math <laughs> games. <laughs> I think there's also oh armored games, if I remember right. Armor games. Yeah, um, yeah they they uh, they're actually still a publisher or oh, yeah. uh, a developer. I know that. Um, I can't say for certain what games they've done, but I know that like big names like them have kind of moved on, mm. which. Um, also kind of reminds me of uh the behemoth you know they did flash games i think um castle crashers was like my first exposure to them i know that they had an alien hominid flash game before um they released it on consoles way back in the day which was really cool yeah it's always cool to see teams that are doing kind of their own thing become actually prominent in the gaming industry or like, you know, it just, it makes me think of people who do mods and then all of a sudden they're getting contacted by like publishers and developers. Like, Hey, we like your talent. Join the team. Yeah, for sure. And you know, there's some websites um, like, you know, Newgrounds, Armor Games that have gone on to do their own thing. Like I said, uh, Nitrum is another one. I don't know if you guys recognize that name, but they made some really good, like, pixelated platformers like they were really cool and you can still play them um on their main website but they've kind of moved on to um mobile now they've definitely focused on that which kind of seems to me like you said that's just where it's all going now now flash games are or mobile games are the flash games of today basically mm-hmm. yeah Some other games that I kind of remember playing online, especially when I was in elementary school, were I think there was a site that was just entirely flash games and they were for kids. And it was primarygames.com, I think was the website. And I used to play a game called Redbeard, which was literally just about it was it was a platformer and it was just a shirtless guy running around collecting <laughs> colorful orbs oh. and things. 
Oh. Um, that was an that was an interesting game, and I remember still kind of the the tropical sort of intro music that it had. Just spent hours on that game. Mm. So many hours. Yeah, a game I remember playing a lot was this really dumb game called Stick Arena. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was, just, it was like this weird competitive like you had to make an account and everything but it was just like a flash game where you play stick figures that pick up weapons and kill other stick figures that's it that game was actually really cool i mean yeah. i could i think it would still hold up today even it's just kind of quick and fun i think one of my favorites um including meat Boy, of course is platform racing 2 um which is basically a platformer racer and uh, I think the most special part about it was that you could create custom levels, and um, it wasn't a very robust system, but I just have great memories of my brother. He He's an artist, and he doesn't do digital art, but he does. He still does, he made really cool things in it um, because he could, like, paint the background, and um, he got, like, really high-rated levels, and I just enjoyed playing them so much. Uh, and then I tried to make my own, and they were terrible, but... <laughs> that game was really fun. And there were a surprising amount of people, too, that played the game. Um, of course, now I probably think it's dead, uh, unfortunately. But, you know, it, it was just... I've got all these nostalgic memories for them that other games, like mainline games, I don't really have just because I played so much. I think kind of one other thing that I kind of wanted to talk about before we sort of close out the game, Austin, you kind of touched on how you felt kind of nostalgic connection to some games. And then Robert, you also mentioned uh, kind of your interest in other games and how they kind of talked about, you talked a little bit about Celeste and kind of how that centered on mental health. And I was just kind of wondering, what are some things that you find interesting about indie games that you may not see in like a triple a game in terms of themes addressed or like what sort of topics that they discuss okay um yeah i could start us off here then uh so with triple a games usually i mean i don't want to bash triple a games because i mean they come from generally kind of awful places because most publishers are kind of really mean but um they're usually you know high octane lowest common denominator like we want to appeal to the broadest audience so we can make the biggest bang for our buck you know um mm -hmm. so like assassin's creed odyssey like sure you're an assassin in greece and you run around and do the whole peloponnesian war thing like cool you're not going to get a lot of you know mental health issues you're not going to get a lot of depression you're not going to get a lot of even you know tackling like gender identity issues or anything like that like the closest you'll get is no matter who you pick, they'll bone whoever, you know, and it's like, <laughs> sure, I, I guess they're bi or pan, I, I guess. I don't know. Um, but then when you come to indie games or even like double A games, which I'm not sure if I'm a fan of that term yet, but uh, I bring it up because I want to talk about um, Ninja Theory's game, Senua's Sacrifice, Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice. Like, oh, that one. Yep. Yeah, like that. That game is magnificent. And you would never ever in a billion years see capcom publish that or ea or ubisoft mm -hmm. um and if you haven't played that game uh you play as a the wife of a viking i believe in this is nordic mythology and she's trying to find her dead husband in helheim and you know it's like a, a neat like that's a kind of a very triple a concept for a story already you know it kind of sounds like something god of war did or would do right 
but the main twist here is that she has psychosis so when like every way the game teaches you something is usually through the voices in your head so when you're fighting enemies there's not like an indicator saying like turn around there's just a voice that whispers only in your left eardrum maybe behind you (laughs) that's right yeah and there are like five different voices in your head and they're all just like you know in cutscenes they berate you they tell you you're not good enough and then in combat they're like oh you're not doing too well are you and shit like that and it's you know it, it kind of makes you very uncomfortable but it also at the same time makes you think there are people out there who are going through this on an everyday basis and while i'll never understand what their days are like this game gives you a good taste of it and kind of makes you empathize with them a lot more I guess for me, unlike um, a lot of indie games, I kind of tend to lean towards those like really action-packed, uh, high-octane indies like Enter the Gungeon or uh, something like that. So I, I don't have too much experience with like the um, social, or I guess with uh, indie games that have a social impact. But <clears throat> um, I still have to appreciate like just how uh you know developers are unafraid to you know display these issues in a game that are hard to talk about like like that game my dragon cancer i never played mm-hmm. it but um oh, you're yeah. not gonna see mm-hmm. any triple a developer probably release a game about a child with cancer but um mm-hmm. you know that it, it's just there's something about indie games as a medium that make it so special where you, you can be successful and tell stories like that. Um, I'm, I guess another thing too, there are some games like Assassin's Creed and um, that's the only one I can think of right now that, mm-hmm. you know, has some historical uh, aspects of it. But um, I remember playing this game called the Moose Man, which I reviewed for the site, which was really fascinating um, because it's a really atmospheric um, side scrolling kind of puzzle game uh where you play as this moose man and there's so much uh historical content in it i guess it's based on um i don't know if you guys have heard of the sammy tribes um i think it's like finnish maybe but Mm. uh (laughs) it, it it there's like a lot of cool um collectibles in it that talk about um museum i guess they're they they're come from museum findings and they bring the history from real world museums and just kind of put it in there so i learned a lot about this culture that i didn't know about really um i guess it's just really original games like that that um i don't think would necessarily work in uh triple a titles that make indie games important to me um i'm especially interested in like history so that one kind of resonated with me um, and it'd be actually cool to go back and replay it just because it's a beautiful game. And I suggest it too, if you want to learn a little bit about some history that you didn't really know existed. Mm. Very cool. It's called the moose man. You said the moose man. Yeah. It's very moose man. tribal primitive, uh, kind of Viking I guess almost. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I just one of the things that kind of really interested me in indie games in particular was just as as both of you have kind of mentioned as well that 
triple A studios just don't seem to talk about they they do make things that appeal to the masses which is good in like its own way like sometimes i do just kind of want to sit down with halo and kind of shoot things up but then other times i kind of especially especially like as a woman i really want to see myself kind of represented in games or kind of see sort of other people's narratives or things that i have experienced reflected uh in sort of the experiences of other characters because i think that there's something really powerful about that as well um, which I can't get from like playing a triple A game. Yeah, I mean, some of them they have kind of like that hollow concept of you can play as a boy or a girl, but right, like, it doesn't like usually games that are built that way. Your character's silent anyway and doesn't make any meaningful choices. I'm looking at you, Far Cry right. Five. <laughs> where I'm pretty sure, like, I was very curious because like that was the first Far Cry where they're like, you play as a man or a woman. So I was like, let's see if they actually like tailor the game in any way to like playing as a woman and i kid you not there are lines where they still say like he's over there and it's like you know oh. it's like okay all right sure this is very hollow fine <laughs> oh yeah that's he's over there mm. <laughs> wow i mean this is the same pr- uh, publisher that said that they couldn't make uh women in assassin's creed unity because making character models for women would be too hard i guess yeah that yep. that was something That's... else yeah <laughs> didn't stop him from doing it in later games but you know back then it was tough really tough yeah but you know it's kind of cool that um i didn't play Assassin's Creed Odyssey but the female character whose name i forget uh i think is probably one of the more or is the more popular option but um, they kind of, I think they made her the canon choice, technically. Um, and I mean, I haven't heard anything bad about how she's represented in the game, which is pretty cool, at least. Yeah, I mean, I've gotten, I've logged maybe like 30 hours into Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which is now reminding me I should probably get back to it. But nonetheless, um, I think based on her voice acting alone, it's leagues better than alexios because alexios you know he's just oh, i'm a gruff bad strong bad i don't think and <laughs> you know she's a classic male power fantasy i guess but cassandra she's like cheeky and sarcastic and kind of like rude in a really funny way and it just it's clearly that there's more there was more effort put into like building her character and making her fun Yeah, uh, that's, yeah, so looking at kind of indie games too, I think that I find myself more likely to be able to connect with character, with, uh, with the characters more than I do in like a triple A game. Would you say the same? What are some kind of, I guess, characters from indie games that I think that you've connected with or that you remember very strongly for their personalities? Hmm. I'm gonna have to think about that one for a sec. Asking the hard questions here. I I try. <laughs> you know, there's there's one actually from a game I recently reviewed. Um, it's a game called My Time at Porsche. 
Oh yeah, dude, my time at Porsche. Dude, that's, a good, that's a fun a good one. game. Like if you like Stardew Valley, like check that game out. It's really good. Well, yeah, I got a code for that a while a while back, and I think I remember covering that when I was still at Kotaku, and it was it was a really fun game. Oh yeah, uh, I just reviewed it. I need to revisit. Yeah, because like it just came out um, at the end of last year, uh, last month, like officially out of early access and all that. Um, yeah, and yeah, it's it's just one of those farming crafting simulators where you know you're the new kid in town, and your grandpa, you know, gave you his workshop because that's how every Harvest Moon game starts. <laughs> and um, you know, you're just you're befriending all these new folk while trying to contribute to their society, and you get to learn all of their personalities and yada yada. And there's one character called Ginger, who's the daughter of the mayor of the town, who's like kind of a goofball. And you know, he he's your classic like I make dad jokes, and it's funny in like an endearing way, even <laughs> though they're like all really bad. And she, Ginger is this like sickly. Uh, you know, a girl who stays at home a lot because like they don't, mm -hmm. I don't think they mention what her sickness is or if they do, I haven't gotten far enough in her relationship yet. Um, but you know, like she can barely really move a lot and she only goes out at night. And even then her older brother is like constantly at her side to, you know, make sure she's okay. And, you know, you just kind of learn a lot about her when you talk to her and she's just very endearing and charming. And, you know, she, she says that she's probably the only one who finds her dad's jokes funny, despite him being like the p most powerful man in town. And like, <laughs> you know, it's just like, this is really cute to see. And it's kind of just this testament to how much that Pathia put, you know, how much effort they put into like these characters. Cause a lot of them are actually just as charming, you know, but she stood out to mm -hmm. me a lot. Yeah. I mean, I guess for me personally, um, I, I don't usually connect to characters. <laughs> I know that sounds right. kind of callous, but it, it's just, I, I, I kind of, um, it's like that with any game I play, you know, um, but that doesn't mean I can't appreciate them. You know, uh, Robert mm -hmm. mentioned my time at Porsche, and I guess that brings up Stardew Valley, which has so many really cool characters that are so diverse. And it's actually quite amazing that one developer can make all these characters sound different you know when you if you're like a creative right. writer it's very hard to do dialogue at least good dialogue mm -hmm. because you want to make sure everybody has their own voice and is their own individual and um i there's like you know certain uh characters that you connect with more than others i guess your character you take preference to them at least for me which you know it's kind of mean but I, I I tend to lean right. towards like uh, Linus. He's the like hobo guy. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I felt kind of bad oh, for yeah. him, but I found him really endearing. And uh, Abigail was I don't know. I I, I know I married Abigail and Stardew Valley. Um, I think she's just this like nerdy, quirky girl that you know likes video games and stuff. And I guess mm -hmm. you know I I guess. Uh, I picked my partner in the game based on what I might like in real life, which is kind of cool because there's so many different options, but you know, you, you kind of do get a relationship with them as you uh, like personally, not in game. Um, so I, I guess I had to really appreciate how well um, personalities were conveyed in Stardew Valley because 
There's some people you hate. There's some people you love. Well, I don't hate people, but you know. Right. Yeah. It's nice when you're playing a game like that and you get kind of all the sense of detail and it, it feels like you're really a part of a community and that everybody stands out and they have their own sort of individual personality. I really love that when I play a game. Same here. And you know, what we're talking about characters too, one thing I kind of really like is how in indie games, if you're playing like a woman as your protagonist, the game usually mm-hmm. doesn't sell you on like you get to play a girl. Like whereas a lot of AAA games, I feel like that's kind of a major selling point. If you can't like the Tomb Raider games, for example, I feel like kind of a big <laughs> part of the marketing is like she's a girl. <laughs> you know, it's like um or, you know, in some cases like Far Cry, like you can play as a girl, right? But when I was playing through right. Celeste, like I didn't think for a moment that it's like oh man i'm playing this game because madeline's a girl i can't you know this is fun (laughs) like i'm playing a girl like no you're just playing a character who happens to be a girl who's conquering her depression and right you know they're they're kind of putting making you depressed by putting you through those really fucking hard levels where you die all the time and you almost want to hurt yourself (laughs) you know it's, it's conquering it's conquering your depression right and like from what yeah. I've seen of um, Sinua's sacrifice, I mean, you know, it, the focus is what seems to me on the mental illness, not Sinua, the protagonist, who just so happens to be a female. You know? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, even in the game, in the options menu, I think, or just somewhere on the main menu, they have like a, a little mini documentary that Ninja Theory did, where where they connected with a bunch of uh, psychologists and neuroscientists who study psychopathy and like or psychosis and use what they learned in those interviews to like help make the game like they're basically consultants for this game and they had this documentary to kind of like show part of that process which is really cool that's really cool kind of the level of detail and the amount of time that they invested into it um especially in a game that kind of is supposed to address mental health issues just kind of thinking sort of historically in video games a lot of times like the mental health issue like someone having psychosis is not really treated as like an aspect of the character but as a reason to villainize someone or to make someone the villain Mm. so that's what i i find that really interesting kind of about senua's sacrifice yeah sometimes too you notice psychosis or things like that are used just to like define a wacky side character in some games right Mm. like yep like red dead redemption 2 i think there's like this one like little village in butcher's creek i think where just like one kid is clearly psychotic and the grandpa's just like oh don't mind him he's just you know wrestling his demons (laughs) haha Yeah, and it's just kind of awkward because it, it's kind of used as a comedic tool and it's just like, haha, see, he's struggling. It's so funny to see someone who's clearly struggling rather than just have it be sort of an aspect of their their own identity and just kind of, it's just kind of swept under the rug, it sounds like, yeah. in Red Dead Redemption. Yeah, I mean, granted, like, he, he's like a one-off character, so it's not like, right. you know, I wouldn't expect him to put too much character development and like a character you probably only see once and i don't even remember the name of him but you know well i have to ask like what do you think about borderlands because i love that series and everybody's like basically insane in it but i think it's in such a wacky outrageous way that you know they're not trying to make people seem they're not trying to like insult anybody it's just the way it is but 
Like, what do you guys think about that? Well, they're, I think they're using comedy, right? Like they're, they're hiding behind what's basically satire, which yeah. I think that's mm-hmm. fine. Right. I mean, it's not like they're trying to say like, you should live up to these people. Like you should be these people when you grow up, like they're not championing, you know, <laughs> yeah. be a murderous bloodbath person or something. Yeah. They, they do have an interesting character in Borderlands 2 called Krieg, who like, he's a psycho. I mean, that's literally uh, what it is. Uh, he's like this big psycho, and um, I don't know, he has like voices in his head that tell him, I can't remember exactly, but I think like, you know, he tries to fight against it because he's a normal person inside, but then he, I don't know, it, it's kind of interesting, but yeah. Yeah, like you said, probably not meant to be any sort of statement. It's just satire. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's it's not trying to say, like, this is what all people who hear voices in their head are like. This is, you know, just like, this game is full of fart jokes and, like, unicorns <laughs> that shit diamonds. So, like, you know, don't take anything in this game seriously. Right. Well, cool. I think that we had a really great discussion here today and i think that we've kind of established we've kind of explored like a lot of different sort of subjects within talking about indie games so mm. thank you all for coming on today <laughs> yeah it was a lot of fun i'd love Thanks to do like a me. yeah let's do a deeper dive into some of these topics in maybe future episodes definitely would be good to do to me Cry of Fear was different than any game I had heard of at that point in my life. Its gruesomeness and focus on psychological themes was far outside what video games typically focused on. In 2012, AAA games like Halo and Assassin's Creed were still dominating mainstream video games, but 2012 was also a year when some crucial indie game studio favorites emerged. The first season of Telltale's The Walking Dead was released to critical acclaim. And the indie adventure hit Journey received widespread praise, taking home numerous Game of the Year awards. Indies only became more prominent in my life after I went away to college. I wanted downtime in between classes, and I wanted to be able to lose myself in the world of a game, but I didn't want to break the bank doing it. During this time, I started to play a lot of visual novels that I find on Steam or sites like Rempy. Visual novels are both an underestimated and underappreciated medium. They tend to be more diverse than mainstream games. Notably, women and LGBT people were the protagonists. The games also addressed LGBT themes, family issues, and mental health issues. Mainstream games weren't focused on these topics, nor were they very diverse. And this is why I personally think indie games appeal to so many people. While we enjoy the escapism that shooting up aliens on Halo provides, we also crave that representation. We want to see ourselves and pieces of our lives reflected in the games that we play. At their core, I believe that most indie games encourage building human connections. We see this in games like Night in the Woods, the 2017 indie adventure hit, and the supernatural spookiness of Oxenfree, and the wildly popular platformer Celeste. In this series, I hope to interview indie creators about current trends in their own projects. I want to discuss game jams, talk with players, and of course, play a ton of games. So I hope you'll join me. Episodes will be released on a monthly basis. Be sure to check out Game Luster for future episodes. You can also follow me on Twitter at cspotrun underscore Chloe. That's spelled C-H-L-O-E. Thanks for joining me for this episode of These Are the Indies.